from National Securities Corporation. It's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. On today's podcast, we are joined by Mark Zinnick, the managing partner of Tillridge Global Agribusiness Partners. Mark, I'm wondering if perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you uh, originally got into agri-investing. Sure, Ivan. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Um, so I've been in the agribusiness operating space for probably roughly 20 years before I joined and moved over into the private equity uh, component or side of that business. Um, I'd worked for ADM, kind of started my career out with ADM, uh, worked in Canada, the United States, and then went to work for the Canadian Wheat Board as a marketing manager for the Wheat Board, and then uh, was recruited to a company called Saskatchewan Wheat Pool, where I was uh, head of their commercial operations uh, in Canada, um, and then uh, was recruited by back to ADM where I went through the feed business and uh, veg oil business and then ran Europe, Asia, Africa for them and then came back as president of Global Oil Seeds and kind of ran, uh, ran the globe, about half the globe. So I had uh, kind of a long, illustrious experience in the ag space, which was uh, pretty interesting and gave me kind of a base component that uh, um, the NGP group found very unique and interesting for them as they were looking to uh, – you know, get into the agribusiness space as part of their natural resource platform. So I had joined joined them um, in about 2010 to kind of head up the agribusiness side of the business, and I've been working on um, agribusiness investing kind of since that point in time. Yeah, so one one thing I'd like to get your thoughts on, Mark, is where you tend to find value in a sector that historically may have been perceived as a sleepy asset class or one that had sort of low returns. Uh, be curious to get your thoughts on on your approach and and where you're looking to really focus your efforts. Sure. Well, I'd say the macro is pretty interesting in ag that uh, you know we've seen with the um, you know onset of renewable fuels on a global scale, both on biodiesel and, and ethanol as an example made from either corn or sugar or other carbohydrates we've seen a pretty dramatic demand increase in uh, the overall component of the agribusiness supply chain and combined with that the increasing gdp and and growing middle class from a global perspective has led to a dramatic increase in the protein uptake in uh, you know around the world which has you know, has a multiplier effect when you look through ag. So every pound of beef is 78 pounds of feed. Every pound of pork is about five to six. Poultry is a couple pounds. And and so as you as you increase the protein demand, you have an exponential pull effect on the the entire agribusiness supply chain. And so that 
you know, combined has led to a pretty interesting dynamic in the agribusiness supply chain. And as uh, GDP, you know, continues to grow, uh, the North American and South American uh, regions have been blessed with ample soil and ample, you know, a fairly sizable water component where they're the areas that have a lot of arable land that tend to have surpluses each year that tend to export into a lot of these emerging markets. So by operating in those fields along the supply chain, there are many, many areas um, along that supply chain which can provide the level of return that's suitable for, uh, you know, certainly for for private equity investments. And, um, you know, our model's a little bit different, so we're not a leveraged buyout shop. We really focus on partnering with management teams either that have a, a history of success in a particular sector as they have different ideas or different concepts that they want to take forward and into a business plan and, and move forward with it. They really don't have a lot of access to capital. And so we'll partner with those people uh, to build out their their um, operational organization utilizing both our and their capital to move forward and then, you know, harvest it at a later date, obviously. Um, some of these operations, probably about half are family operations with a super strong management team that needs access to capital to buy out, you know, one or more of the existing owners. The management wants to really roll forward and, and needs additional growth capital to fill out their existing business needs. Um, and, um, you know, we'll step into those shoes and partner with those people if we are, you know, confident that they've got the, uh, you know, the right business plan moving forward. And so those are the kind of areas that we partner with, and we're not really specifically targeting any particular business or any particular sector. We really look to make sure that the, um, the blend of management team and the the space that they're in and the plan going forward will kind of meet the needs that uh, that will uh, meet our needs and our investors' needs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The sector does seem to appear to have a lot of pockets where returns can be generated, and there's been sort of a, uh, a surge of capital that has come to the space. Do you think a lot of that capital will continue to show interest given where we are in the cycle and and just exactly where do you think we are in, in the overall cycle? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, every business has certain cycles to it. And I think that, that um, the agribusiness side is, you know, has within it, within the supply chain from inputs, you know, let's say land, animal crop production, handling and storage, primary processing, and then value-added processing, some some sectors benefit with lower commodity prices and other sectors um, benefit with higher commodity prices. So along the agribusiness supply chain, uh, you've got the opportunity to invest as you see, um, you know, business opportunities, but they're more margin-related businesses where they're not, other than land, um, they're not, they don't have as direct effect on, you know, if commodity prices are really low or really high, it has a dramatic effect on the underlying business in, in a lot of these sectors. And and so as you as you roll through the different businesses, um, you know, certainly the the lower commodity price has had a direct effect on farm income. Um, I mean, it's either price and yield, which dictate, you know, farm income and then the cost of the underlying inputs. And so as uh, as the price of the, of the finished product that the farmer's growing has gone down dramatically, it's having an impact on their net income, which is 
you know, putting um, certain groups under stress uh, in particular areas, in particular crops, that will have an impact in that particular part of the value chain. But, you know, the the response in other sectors of the value chain, that if you're in, in certain areas in the animal production side, that your input cost, you know, 60% of growing the chicken today is is grain and protein meal. So as grain and protein meal are cheaper, um, those businesses tend to produce a higher level of return than what they may have historically produced um, from a margin perspective. So there's, you know, what I'm kind of saying is that there are certain offsets that are in there, and we like to be pretty well balanced along the overall supply chain. But again, we're not investing in direct land, so we're not really looking at a direct commodity exposure business. And I think, you know, for us... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and for us, you know, there there are areas in in the business that many view as being real sleepy and not generally uh, high returning sectors. And we found that uh, you know that we like that opinion of the business itself because it kind of keeps people from uh, really digging in. But uh, in each of the different areas along the value chain that we're playing in, you know, we're finding. Um, teams of people that have been producing at real high levels of, uh, of value add to their business and high levels of margin and pretty good margin control in each of the different sectors. And we also find some that are, that are not. And they're all operating in the same sector, doing kind of the same thing. So it, it really, in, like in most businesses, is really dependent on the team and the, uh, the, you know, the quality of the team that that uh, is operating the business and looking to move forward and looking to take on new opportunities. And the way that they execute those is, is really people dependent because the agribusiness supply chain is, is really heavily weighted in compared to many other industries related to the people, because it does have a bit more of a merchant model to it where you don't have a, a five-year supply agreement and a five-year offtake agreement and uh, and you move on. I mean, the you know, as we say, the crops grow outside. So each year you have a different supply and demand associated with your raw material that needs to be taken into effect and priced accordingly with the end users. And so that's all done by by people and managed by people. And so the people component associated with each aspect of this business is uh, is pretty critical. That's interesting. If we look further downstream, I think for the first time in really the history of agriculture, the influence of the consumer is is really getting a lot of weight uh, uh, behind their consumer preferences. So we see organic, we see uh, consumers looking for traceability, um, looking for environmental sustainability, uh, seeking out cage-free eggs. Just be curious to get your thoughts on on this sort of nexus of consumer tastes and preferences that is surging and really driving industry and, and seeing new business models pop up to service this. Just, what, what's your view and what kind of observations are you are you seeing out there as as the consumers driving the uh, the sector more than than they may have historically? Yeah, I would say it's interesting that. Uh you know, through the 90s and, and 2000s, um, the agribusiness community was, um, you know, still consolidating and globalizing, where a lot of the 
you know, the big corporates were predominantly North or South American based and started to move into the international forum uh, and direct, you know, from right from the farm gate right to the end user through processed product or raw material through ports, elevators, processing plants and the like. And that has all been designed or or ascribed to where you add value is basically continued process along the way, predominantly very efficient plants, high volume, single product quality, and I think the industry had done an extremely good job in that area. Um, and you know, as as incomes continue to grow and the population is still growing at around 80, 90 million people a year, you know, the population caught up, the increased wealthy people and the urbanized people are, are con- you know, demanding from a consumer preference perspective, new types of products, services, and quality. And that now is becoming more and more mainstream. Um, it's very specialized and new, new specialized supply chains need to be built uh, to meet those consumer needs that aren't necessarily conducive to utilizing some of the high throughput commodity supply chains that were developed historically. So as the industry continues to flex and move into meet the needs of the consumer, where really everything ends up uh, on the agribusiness supply chain back, um, the uh, the supply chain is is being modified and changed along each of the different components of that supply chain, which provides you know, pretty significant opportunity from an investment perspective and um, and development perspective along the, along those lines. And with that comes obviously higher margin because the margins are required to you know to fund the growth in that particular supply chain for a period of time. And so, you know, that's uh, kind of the the wave that we're starting to see and continue moving forward. And I would say. You know, some of it's been around for a decade, but very, very small. And some of these um, consumer preferences now are becoming more mainstream. An example of that might be craft brewing. You know, traditionally the the brewing business in in this country and around the world has been dominated by you know pretty significant major brands utilizing a particular. Um, type of malt that was more commoditized into their process and the advent of the craft brewing sector where we now have over 4,000 roughly craft brewers in the country, a pretty sizable component of the, of the malt that is produced today is now moving into the craft brewing sector. And that is, you know, very specialized malt that caters to a taste or, or um, color profile that they, that they're looking for in their particular malt to differentiate them from, uh, you know, from from people in their particular sector, and so those types of processes really in supply chains um, need to be continually augmented and built up, you know, to meet those demands. And it's getting to be, in certain cases, pretty significant. Yeah, certainly interesting times in the ag space. Um, you know, I, I'd be curious to know what your views are, though, on on the example of the cage-free movement that's occurring and, and all the capital that's required to be invested in that sector. Do you have any uh, any, any thoughts on on that trend and, and and how much investment might be needed for the industry to to move toward a cage-free? Yeah, I mean, I can't um, I can't really comment on the amount of capital that would be required for the industry to move to completely cage-free. But you know, some of it has been, you know, the drivers of that business are are consumer preferences, and some of it has been through consumer preferences that have been driving legislation in those areas. 
and then consumer preferences where people are are choosing to buy more cage-free or antibiotic-free or air-chilled or what have you on the poultry side uh, over other products, which increases the demand, which means that the the uh, retail network is demanding more of that product and new, more of that product needs to be you know, supplied to meet those demands. So I think you're kind of coming at it from from two areas, but both areas are focused on the consumer and what the consumer is looking for today. And it's, uh, um, you know, whether your view is that that it's really not necessary that the animals themselves are, are a processing plant or that, you know, animals need to be treated in a different manner, you know, the consumer is really driving a lot of the changes that are going on. And, and as that continues and looks to, looks to be continuing in, in, you know, certainly certain species that, uh, that it's driving a change in the marketplace and, and new requirements for new capital to come in to, uh, you know, to meet those needs on an effective basis. And, uh, and that being the case, there's obviously, you know, a cost to that. And, uh, and that cost needs to provide, you know, the market needs to provide enough margin to allow the industry to move into, into that field. And it, uh, it's doing it. So the free market's really working. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, few years. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of platforms that will need to be talking to folks like yourself and, and working through their financial models and projections and, and the assumptions around such to see if it works to attract outside capital. So I personally look forward to, to the industry moving towards those conversations that can engage folks like yourself. But Listen, I know that you're an extremely uh, busy individual, uh, and I want to thank you very much for uh, participating on this podcast, but surely there's something I didn't ask that maybe you were expecting me to ask or a topic that you think maybe I, that we should have covered briefly uh, before we conclude. Is there is there anything that you would like to add uh, to our conversation that perhaps I didn't touch on? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, that – you know, as you'd mentioned, that a lot of people have looked at the agribusiness, um, you know, supply chain as kind of being pretty sleepy and uh, not a whole lot going on. And, and essentially, that agribusiness supply chain is feeding about 7.3 billion people today. And, and depending on what numbers you use, it's going to, you know, uh, 9.3 to 9.5 by 2050. And that's, um, you know, a pretty sizable transformation in the entire agribusiness supply chain from a uh, the agribusiness supply chain being able to meet those needs with the with the winds of uh, you know potential climate change and the effects on various crop cycles that that's having um, you know water availability soil types um, infrastructure inside the countries that are able to produce but not get to market pretty quickly so you know there's a sizable amount of capital that needs to go into each of these different sectors and when you when you look back through history and you take you know, the ABCDs on one particular part of the value chain, kind of handling and storage and primary processing, you know, those companies have been growing pretty dramatically in the last 15 years. New companies such as Wilmar, as an example, it's now probably north of $20 billion on a global scale, has been developed in those in that time frame. So there's been a lot of growth in those areas. A lot of growth has been with the multinationals and continuing to grow, but there's a lot of small companies and family operated businesses that are, you know, have been growing at a very similar pace pretty substantially that are, um, you know, needing capital to move forward to kind of complete their, 
their uh, growth paradigms or or projects that they're looking for and have a difficulty in in finding that capital. And I think that uh, you know private equity is certainly a very interesting uh, partnership model for a lot of those um, you know private people that are out there today that that are have been competing with the majors for some time and very effectively and going to always continue to be competing with them in in the business structure and doing very very well and as they need capital they're also growing at the same pace or or faster in particular sectors and can move a little quicker and uh, and I think there's you know going to be capital available for you know for the right teams in the right circumstances um, if they've got solid business plans and a really good management team to be able to move forward and continue to grow. And, um, you know, certainly we're, we're happy to talk with, uh, with people in that sector to, to work with them on, uh, you know, on their business plans and see if it's a fit for them and us. But I think, you know, more and more capital will be, will be coming to the sector because it needs it. You know, as I described earlier, the amount of transformation that's going to be taking place in the next uh, 20 years is pretty dramatic. And, uh, you know, and capital is certainly one component of that. Talent is another. We've been talking with Mark Zenick, the managing partner at Tillridge Global Agribusiness Partners, and hearing his views on the agricultural sector and agribusiness-related industries in general. Mark, thank you very much for your time and for participating on this podcast, and I personally look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you and here's to next time.